0: This is episode five of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Judy Simpson.
1: There's never an advocacy situation that is wasted. There's never a conversation that you have that doesn't play a role in furthering the message. So even if you didn't get everything said that you wanted to say, or you didn't get an answer, or you didn't get the problem solved in that meeting, It was a step in the direction. It's the same concept of thinking about your treatment plans. You don't expect to go into your session and achieve all your goals in one session. It's the same way with advocacy. You can't expect one meeting to result in final success and total achievement of all the goals we have in advocacy.
0: You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In this week's episode, I talk to Judy Simpson, who is the Director of Government Relations for AMTA. And we talk about her personal experience with her daughter who has autism and the advocacy she had to do as a parent over the course of her daughter's life, specifically in school systems and such, when things were very different before AMTA, uh, the merge had happened, before board certification was a nationally recognized credential, and also how advocacy is currently <laughs> currently going in the United States. Judy also gives us examples of the different types of recognition, what they mean, some states for each one. And I actually split this conversation into two bits because we did some role play where Judy was the advocating music therapist and I was the legislator. So tune into the next episode to hear that specifically. But this one is also full of great tips, advice, and Judy has a such a positive outlook on advocacy and a very therapeutic mindset in doing it. And especially having done this for um, 20 years now, I think it's really admirable of her to still be able to explain what music therapy is all the time and keep that therapist's positive mindset. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let us know if you do. Join our Facebook group to uh, continue the conversation about these episodes, add your own thoughts, and leave us a review on iTunes so that this podcast can be found by more people. The reviews really help us out and I will read one on the other end of this episode. All right, let's get into it. Judy welcome to the podcast thank you so much for having me thank you for making the time I'm uh, excited to hear what you have to say I think that you have a very specific expertise set and uh, I think everyone listening will get a lot out of what you have to share today thank you so to start us off tell us a little bit about yourself both uh, personally things that you're into and how you found your way to music therapy
1: Okay, well, I've been a music therapist since 1982, so quite a long time. (laughs)
0: Um, When
1: I was trying to decide what I wanted to major in in college, I didn't even know that music therapy existed, and I had thought about my opportunities um, and was considering being a music teacher in special education. And so I initially started looking into that and then went to a college fair where the university I ended up attending, the University of Evansville, had a booth, and they told me about music therapy, and I was sold. I only applied to that one school, majored in music therapy, and never looked back. So it was just the perfect opportunity. I'm so glad I was able to find music therapy and um, start my career. Um, I initially started in hospital work, and so all of my professional clinical work was in a general hospital setting in St. Louis and i worked with initially on the psychiatric uh, services and then in chemical dependency but then i also worked hospital-wide so we expanded the music therapy program and we provided services bedside to every unit in the hospital we had programs in rehabilitation as well as um, an oncology we also did music therapy assisted childbirth within labor and delivery on that unit we, the only place we didn't work, we did not work in the ER, because that was not really an area of music therapy practice at the time. So this was like through the 80s and the 90s. And it was more the general bedside, general med, ICU, um, and then the specialized units that were within the hospital. So I had a great clinical experience. I really enjoyed the work that I did um, with patients. And then the opportunity came to uh, work for AMTA, AMTA. And I initially started as the Government Relations and Public Relations Associate. And after a few years, then moved into the Director of Government Relations positions. So this August, I will celebrate my 20th anniversary with AMTA, Congratulations. which is hard to believe. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, it's been quite a journey. But I have to say that my clinical experience has meant so much to my ability to advocate and to help train other music therapists in the process of advocating for the profession and ultimately advocating for increased access to services for the clients that we serve.
0: Yeah. Um, how long were you a clinician before you transitioned into a more administrative role, I guess? Or if you have a better um, word, put it in there. No, no. Clinical work was about 17 years. Wow. Okay. So, Do you miss it or are you really I, enjoying what you're I, doing? I, I do
1: enjoy what I'm doing and there are moments when I missed it. I think that first year of not doing clinical work was probably the most difficult. Um, One of the things I did early on after I came to AMTA is I actually did complete the NMT training and that allowed me, I'm glad I did that right after I had stopped my clinical work because it was still fresh and it was still, I could really see the use of it. And then I was able to also address the questions about NMT even though I didn't go on and, and maintain or become a fellow. Um, having that base understanding was really important to me from the clinical perspective. Um, And I do use music therapy techniques, I guess you could say, even though I'm not actually practicing music therapy actively. Um, I have private piano, voice, and guitar students that I teach in my home. And so oftentimes the students that I see have special needs. And obviously my music therapy skills come into play for providing those services. Um, and then I think just the clinical skills you have as a music therapist make you a better advocate and make you, um, able to interact with all the different populations and all the different audiences that we deal with when we promote the profession and we promote our services. So those clinical skills, even though I'm not actively involved with patients, um, those clinical skills come in handy every day.
0: Yeah. Um. And I think that a lot of the clinical skills just play into relationships and just like you said, speaking to human beings and exactly. like, there's, a, there's a lot to keep in mind. And I find um, sometimes I when I'm talking with friends or family, I'll, I'll make a comment about something and they'll respond back with it's, it's not something they ever thought of that way. You know, They don't have that therapeutic mindset, um, that ca- kind of training for when you're dealing with other people. <laughs> Exactly.
1: No, Mm -hmm. it does. It's such an incredible skill to have to be able to be a good listener, to be able to reflect what you think is being said, and then being able to, you know, offer your points. And those are the prime skills that you need, the primary skills you need in any kind of advocacy.
0: Yeah, which is a ton of what you do. So before we get into that, um, you mentioned you use your clinical experience also for teaching uh, lessons some of them Mm -hmm. adaptive. You Mm -hmm. also uh, have a daughter who is on the spectrum.
1: Yes, she is. Um, My daughter, Jana, is 25 now and um, was originally diagnosed with the PDD-NOS back when that was a new diagnosis. And um, I did do quite a bit of advocacy for her throughout her time in school to um, be able to receive appropriate services um, through her IEP. And um, that was an interesting experience being on the other side of the table, even though I'd never really worked in special ed as a music therapist, I understood that process and I understood the system and coming to it as a parent and realizing how sometimes difficult it can be for uh, individuals trying to advocate for their children. Um, I, I, I was grateful that I had the experience as a clinician, to help me in that process. But it was very challenging at times.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure that aids you in in your position now, communicating to parents, uh, because you, you have more of a sense of what they need to hear, or maybe if they're asking a question but they're not exactly sure how to word it, you, you have both sides of that, which is wonderful.
1: Yeah, it really has been a great, one of the things I really like about my position is being able to talk to parents, And being able to, you know, let them know and identify, I've been in your shoes, and this is, I understand how you feel, and this is what I recommend you do if you're trying to seek music therapy for your child. So it has definitely made a difference in the approach that I take when I'm assisting parents throughout the country.
0: Yeah. So as a parent, uh, did you seek a music therapist, and in... For other therapists that you also saw, what were some things you looked for having the experience as both the parent and the clinician?
1: So one of the first things, um, and this may seem odd in today's world since the MTBC is the norm, but when my daughter was first receiving services, it was before unification. And some individuals still had the registry and some individuals were board certified or both. And one of the things that I really advocated for in the beginning was that I had a board certified music therapist because I knew that the qualifications and the requirements were at a different standard and required continuing ed where the registry did not. And so that was one of the first things I did. Um, the district that we were living in actually had a music therapist working with them on an, uh, just on a contract basis. And when I found out that they weren't board certified, I refused services and worked with, um, at the time, NAMT, and um, this was while I was in leadership in the Midwestern region, and we advocated with the Missouri Department of Education to make sure that board certification was listed in the state regulations. So this was 1996, 97, um, and so that was really a big accomplishment at the time uh to actually get the mtbc listed in state regulations and after that the district that served special education students in the saint louis area um actually increased the number of music therapists i think at one point they had maybe 10 or 12 music therapists that were contracted that went out through all the different districts across the county Um, And so it really did help to increase access to services once we got those state regulations changed. So that was exciting to be a part of that. And that was really, I would have to say, because of that experience as a parent is why I ultimately ended up working for AMTA in government relations, because I'd had that personal experience and it really did, it demonstrated to me the importance of the clinician and the parent role in the process of advocacy and made me realize how much more needed to be done. So it it kind of allowed me to move from clinician to to advocate to an association staff person. Um and as far as finding music therapists, then when we moved to the Maryland area, um it was a little difficult to we were unable to get services in the first district that we moved to. Um, We even brought Attorneys with us to IEPs, and we tried to bring in you know uh, people that could speak to the topic, um, but it was a very contentious um, situation, and so we were unable and unsuccessful to in getting services there. So we ended up moving actually to the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia and started advocating there. We also had to do quite a bit of advocacy and bring in experts and bring in outside of But as a result, we not only got music therapy, but we also had additional OT, speech. Uh, We had an educational consultant rewrite the entire IEP. And it ended up being a really great um, program then for my daughter, but it all started with my advocacy for music therapy. So um, it was really incredible to see the change in perspective, you know, initially, and I think a lot of parents run into this, where the therapists that are working with your child might say, well, these are my goals these are the speech goals, these are the OT goals. And what really changed it was no, these are my daughter's goals and we all as a team need to work together to make this happen. And that change in perspective, and after the music therapist was working with my daughter and integrated into the school system, all the other staff and therapists were so grateful that the music therapist was present and was able to contribute to my daughter's IEP success that it really helped, I think, change that mindset and ultimately, other children were able to access music therapy in that district. So um, it's, it's looking for, I mean, I think it's hard sometimes for parents to know, you know, there's not always a lot of music therapists available in your area. So you might not necessarily get to be selective. But the things that you do look for in a therapist for your child is obviously one who's going to look at both, not only their um, liabilities, but their assets and really being able to not always focus on what the child can't do, but focusing on what the child can do. And that was so dramatic in, in, as a parent's perspective, from how maybe an OT or PT might have talked about my child as opposed to what the music therapist said. The music therapist was always more positive and looking for ways to um, demonstrate success, where sometimes other therapists or teachers might focus more on the things that she could not do and the limitations that she had. So... I think that's a key skill that music therapists can bring to an IEP team um, to really look at focusing on the child's um, assets and how you can enhance those.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if you still see that, uh, that MTs are typically more able to focus on the strengths versus other therapists, or do you think that has become more balanced over the years? I think it's
1: become more balanced. I think there's more attention within special education in general, just in the way that IDEA, the federal law over special ed, is monitored and implemented throughout the country, I think there's a better attention to that. And that's just a change in, it's been 20 years, you know, since I experienced some of this negativity. And so I think the growth of the special education community and the awareness and the importance of Inclusion and not isolating children with disabilities away from their peers, their typical peers. Um, There's been so much growth overall. I think that concept of focusing more on the strengths has expanded outside of music therapy. But I have to say, 20 years ago, it was the music therapist that had that positive attitude.
0: Yeah, I think every year when I go to conference, I think to myself, this is a really special place. And as much as I could get a ton out of going to an OT or speech path um, conference, Mm -hmm. I feel like the atmosphere when you're around other music therapists is very special because of that. Because we are so able to identify and bring out the strengths of our clients in ways Mm -hmm. that other mediums, um, for a lot of people, they just don't reach those, those strengths.
1: Right, right. And I think it's it's also kind of this concept of, you know, just our health system in general is focused more on, or has been, focusing on you when you're sick or when there's a problem instead of looking at how to keep you well and how to uh, promote wellness. Um, and so we're, I feel like we're kind of in that place where we cross both sections. It's not just about assisting people who are in need of help, and that's definitely where we fit, but then also bringing them and in and continuing to include music in their life in a way that's therapeutic, so that they can maintain their abilities, or they can improve their abilities, or they can uh, maintain wellness. So um, I think that's that's kind of true for just how we look at medicine in general, just how the how our communities look at it. Um, there was something you said too about um, the conferences and the kind of the uh, environment that we have when we're all together as music therapists. One of the things that it reminded me of is how in our advocacy work, legislators and even state agency staff have said to us that it's so nice to work with us as music therapists. Not that other therapies and other advocacy groups are, are bad or that they're, they're not positive, but that we're just different in our approach when we're dealing with state recognition efforts and when we're trying to deal with increasing access to services, that we tend to be more focused on the client and less focused on ourselves, that we're more positive and more pleasant to work with. And what I always like to say is we try to take the high road in our advocacy, that we don't play dirty. We don't get into or try not to get into kind of the politics of things, but focus more on what is gonna benefit the clients that need music therapy? What do we need to do to make that happen and make that more accessible? Um, And that really comes through in our advocacy with legislators. It's very common for them to say something about how different we are. So I think that just ties in with how we've been talking about how music therapists really do look at and can bring out the strengths and the assets that people bring to a session or bring to any situation.
0: And that's also a really beautiful comment or compliment to get, especially from someone in a political position, um, <laughs> right? I think if someone ever said that to me, I, you know, I would write it down and keep it forever. Whenever I'm having a bad day, <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so that's a great segue. What are some other advocacy stories you have? Good, bad, funny, anything that comes to mind. <laughs> Um,
1: One of my favorite ones was pretty early on. It was in the state of Washington, and we were talking with the director of uh, special education in the state. And we had an opportunity to really just discuss what the options were for state recognition and recognizing that it was really difficult for music therapists to work in special ed in that particular state. And when we got to talking about just music in general and what music therapy was, this individual talked about his own personal experience with playing the trumpet in the band in high school and went on and on about how wonderful it was and what great memories he had about going on, being in parades and going on band trips. And, um, and it was a very positive, he had a very positive reaction to talking about music. And I really helped in the conversation just like you would as in a therapy session, I tried to facilitate him sharing that information and giving him positive feedback for um, that experience that he was sharing with us. And when we finished, we you know we talked about the music therapy things as well. But when we finished the meeting and we were walking out, um, other individuals that were participating in the meeting were a little frustrated that he spent so much time talking about his personal trumpet playing, <laughs> and and I said. But the thing you have to remember is because we allowed that opportunity for him to connect on that level with us, he's going to remember us. He's going to remember the music therapist. And I think a lot of times the advocacy that we do, I, I know sometimes music therapists get really scared about talking to a legislator or talking to an agency head or somebody that's, you know, has some kind of power in a state position or even, or a federal position. And yet we all have this common denominator with the music and it's very rare that you find someone who doesn't have some type of reaction or experience or something they want to share with you about how they use music. Oftentimes they are musicians or they at least, you know, play for their own uh, enjoyment, but it's a great way to connect with people on that personal level. So it, it makes the interaction less, I guess, less formal and allows you to connect. And so the fact that we allowed him to talk about his personal experience with music made such a difference in the dynamic of the meeting itself, made the meeting less tense. Uh, it wasn't adversarial in any way. He was very open to hearing what we had to say. We talked about how to problem solve the situation with access and special ed. And it just, it made the whole meeting a much more productive and positive experience. And so even though it may seem off topic to allow the people to talk about their own music experience, it really does contribute to the overall success of your message. Um, And I think that, Because the thing we really strive to educate our therapists on as well as the champions we have outside the profession that support us is that there's never an advocacy situation that is wasted. There's never a conversation that you have that doesn't play a role in furthering the message. So even if you didn't get everything said that you wanted to say or you didn't get an answer or you didn't get the problem solved in that meeting – It was a step in the direction. It's the same concept of thinking about your treatment plans. You don't expect to go into your session and achieve all your goals in one session. It's the same way with advocacy. You can't expect one meeting to result in final success and total achievement of all the goals we have in advocacy. So it builds over time. And just as you build a rapport with your client over multiple sessions, you build rapport and a relationship with these legislators and these advocacy, these uh, agency officials over time. And you can't just do it once and then forget about it. You have to nurture that relationship. So the fact that you have that in knowing that that person in particular was a musician or maybe still plays... You can use that then when you do follow up you can say oh it was so great to talk to you about music therapy and i loved hearing about your experience playing the trumpet in the high school band do you ever think about still playing you know you can use that as a conversation starter you can use that as a way to connect um, it's so important to realize it's about the relationship advocacy is an and positive movement towards The goals we have with our state recognition operational plan is really built on those relationships and nurturing them over time. Um, So it's very similar to what you do as a clinician.
0: That's a beautiful story and a fantastic example of what we were saying earlier about how our training plays into all of this, especially Mm -hmm. when you related it back to this is a relationship, you're not going to achieve all the goals at once. It's so true. Um, and definitely something to keep in mind for anyone out there. Even I, I would say if you're trying to get music therapy in a school, like you said before, or in, in a hospital or whatever, um, sp- uh, spending the time to create those relationships and to do the listening.
1: Well, it's similar to what, you know, cause some of the work I do with AMTA is assisting music therapists if they're starting a private practice or they're wanting to, you know, propose a contract to a particular employer, um, And it really is, it's always, we're doing advocacy all the time. We just change the message to fit the audience. So if your audience is an administrator in a hospital, um, it's the same concept. You want to know, you need to do your homework. You need to know what that facility needs and how that facility works. You need to know some of the background of that program. But then you come in and you're the problem solver. You're offering them solutions and you give them suggestions and offer them Uh, potential for hiring you to do contract work or however you want to approach it. But it's always about listening to what their needs are and how they respond to you and what their connections are. And, and then it's that flexibility in the moment, that ability to listen and respond and provide an appropriate solution or an appropriate suggestion, um, in response to their needs or their questions. Um, yeah, it's very much like being in a session. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I find more and more um, life, different situations in life feel like being in a situation or feeling (laughs) like being in a session. And sometimes I think to myself, you know, I'm not the therapist right now. I don't want to, I don't have the right word, therapize this person, or (laughs) be analyzing all these things. But you do just it just sticks with you. You know, it's not something that you leave work and put down for the day. No, it becomes a part of who you are. And I
1: think that's also why sometimes when I've done presentations and we talk about, like, who can become a music therapist, when there's people just wanting to know, like, why would somebody go into music therapy as another profession or whatever? And so in the fact that, obviously, we need to be musicians first, um, we are a very unique profession. And this is where I maybe sometimes get a little... um, Uh, I don't know, I'm very proud of the music therapy community and the people who are engaging in this profession, because not everybody can be a music therapist. Um, In my opinion, you know, anybody can go to school to be pretty much anything else, (laughs) but to be a music therapist, even to start in the profession, to start the education process, you have to have a certain set of skills. Whereas if you wanted to, I mean, even when I think about my friends that have gone into occupational therapy or uh, speech language pathology, yes, you have to have a certain personality, but you don't have to come in with a certain set of skills first. Whereas in music therapy, you do have to have a certain set of skills before you even start the education process. So it does take a very unique skill set for someone to even enter into the field. And I think that's something we should be proud of.
0: I agree with that. <laughs> so anyone out there listening who's an MT, give yourself a pat on the back for not only <laughs> making it through the process of going through the education, passing the board exam, becoming a clinician, a teacher, whatever you are, um, but also for continuing to maintain those skills and uh, keep the therapeutic perspective in all yeah, different areas of life. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. So... For anyone who is unsure, unclear on the different levels, the different types of recognition, far as far as state recognition, licensure, um, all of those kinds of things, can you give us a quick rundown of each one and what they mean? Sure.
1: So when we're looking at state recognition as part of the AMTA and CBMT operational plan, we're looking for any level of recognition, and so we'll start with what some people consider the gold standard, and that would be a license. And it's not that we go in asking for that, but we definitely refer to what is common practice in that particular state. We defer to the recommendations from the legislators, and we do have to consider the political climate in each state to determine what level of regulation we look for. But licensure is considered like the top level. That's the most stringent. And it not only protects the title of music therapist, but it also protects the practice of music therapy. So anyone who claims to be a music therapist who's not board certified, or anyone who claims to be doing music therapy who is not board certified, would then ultimately be brought up on charges to the state and could pay a fine, could receive a cease and desist letter, would have legal action taken against them for misrepresenting the profession. And so that's the strictest level. And so we have licensure in six states currently um, across the country. The next level down is a registry. And a state registry is a list of individuals who have met the criteria to be a music therapist. And so it would be a list where you could go on a state website, you could pull up the music therapy registry list, and you could look for an individual to see if they're Um, on the list. So you pay to be on that list. um, And the registries that we are recommending now, if if a state wants to go that route, um, the requirement is board certification. So the the whole goal of the operational plan is that every state has the same requirements. As long as you've passed the exam or you transitioned into board certification, um, at this point, that Is all you would need to be recognized by the state. So the state registry we've had um, we have the one in Wisconsin that's been in place since one thousand, nine hundred and ninety-eight. We have uh, introduced registry bills in other states, but um, there are none other that have been no others that have been actually enacted. Then there's a state certification process. We have that in Utah. The thing about state certification is that it's voluntary. So people can still do music therapy, but they could pay a fee to the state and have the state certification credential added to their title, so they'd be a state-certified music therapist. And it's sort of like when you are looking for someone to do services um, in your home, or if uh, you look for professionals like Plumbers, contractors, people to do the lawn care—you can look on their websites and see that they're state certified. They've met a certain set of requirements and they've paid their fee to the state. But you don't have to do it. So there, you can still practice music therapy in the state of Utah without the state certification. It's just the state certification ensures that you've met the board certification requirements. So. It doesn't have the same legal implications, but it still recognizes the credential and the profession. And then the lowest level of recognition is title protection. And we do have this in Connecticut. And this is where if you are claiming to do music therapy, you do need to have the board certification. And so um, this is the entry level of state regulation. There's no fees involved. You don't have to pay anything for it. It just puts into state law that if you're doing music therapy or you're claiming to be a music therapist, you need to be board certified. It doesn't protect the scope, um, but people cannot call themselves a music therapist without being board certified. So sometimes that's a place where we start. If a state is not willing to take the highest level like a license, which is more costly, um, and they want to do something where there's no real cost involved, Title protection is sometimes something they're willing to do. And then if we're not able, and those actually are all laws, those are things that have to be passed by your state Senate, your state Assembly, your state House, signed by the governor, official, it's in statute. There are other things that allow recognition of the profession that don't require passing laws, and that is sometimes we're able to change it just at the regulation level. So when I mentioned earlier the concept of getting when my daughter was starting her music therapy and we worked with the state of Missouri, we did not pass any laws back then. What we did was we worked directly with the State Department of Education to make sure that their regulations indicated the music therapist had to be board certified. So sometimes in some states, we can just work with the state agencies, whether it's Department of Aging, Department of Health, Department of Education whatever agency oversees the clinical services where we work as music therapists, and we work with them to change the regulations to make sure that the board certification is listed. Now, doesn't always work in some states. Some states require us to pass a law to make that happen, but in other states, we've been able to do it at the regulation and the state agency level. So that's kind of the from the top down. The highest would be licensure, then registry, state certification, title protection, or without a law, just regulatory changes.
0: Thank you. I'm sure you've given that that list several times. So now it's <laughs> okay. here for reference. If anyone needs it, they can, they right. can go to this That's episode. Right. Uh, what should those of us who are music therapists or are aware of what a music therapist actually is, so i.e. our family, friends, uh, who notice misrepresentations of music therapy, what do we do? So our recommendations
1: for you as a music therapist is, first of all, find out the facts. Um, I know sometimes a lot of it's online or through social media. You see something and your immediate reaction is to be very defensive about it and to be upset, especially if there's a like this incredible story, they call it music therapy, but there's no mention of a board-certified music therapist. And so before you do anything rash and post a comment, um, it's always important to investigate a little bit. So either contacting the um, person who wrote the article or the program itself, if it's especially if it's local, and just to say, "Hey, I saw the story about this. I'm I'm really excited about the program. Um, do you have a board certified music therapist working with you?" Just ask the question, and oftentimes it's something that either they do or they had no idea that they were misrepresenting, and, and it's. And it's an easy thing to solve, but it's better to find out the facts first. If you do find out that they truly are misrepresenting and, um, and they have no clue that the profession of music therapy even exists, um, there is a guide on the AMTA website that talks you through the process of how to respond to misrepresentation. We really like it if the individual who finds the story, and especially if it's local, that they try to intervene and practice their advocacy skills. There's a, like a sample letter online that you can look at that helps kind of guide you in how to respond to this misrepresentation. And if that's not successful or you feel like it's a bigger story, it's not just a local thing, it's a regional or a national group that needs a response, we recommend that you contact your regional rep from the Professional Advocacy Committee. And you can also find those names on the AMTA website if you don't know who's your rep. Um, And if it's not something that the regional person can take care of, then it moves up to the co-chairs of the Professional Advocacy Committee. And then if it needs another level, it's sort of like the same idea with licensure levels. It's, It's a level of response. You do it local, regional, national committee, or then the AMTA National Office, or if we need to get legal counsel involved. So... There's multiple levels of response depending on the situation and the type of misrepresentation. Um, I can give you an example of how a situation where AMTA uh, legal counsel would actually get involved and that would be if someone was advertising falsely across multiple states. And especially if some of those states have licensure and so there are legal ramifications for a person misrepresenting the profession. In states where we don't have recognition, We don't really have the legal recourse, but when there's a license or a registry or even title protection, um, it does give us um, uh, laws to refer to and um, can help um, educate the people that are doing the misrepresentation so that they know that mm, they need to change this, that they should not be calling it music therapy. So that's the recommendation for music therapists. Um, I think so many times I'll receive or I'll be tagged on, say, a social media post from a family member or a friend who saw this great story. And it sounds like music therapy, but it's not. And so um, typically I look into the issue myself just to see what it's all about. And then I privately um, sometimes reach out to that person who sent it to me and let them know Thanks so much for sharing the story. It's a great thing, but it's not actually music therapy, and this is why. And it's you know, and thanking them for their support and asking them when you see these types of things in the future, check to see if there's a music therapist involved. You know, so it's our job to educate our contacts. Um, we have to build our advocacy support network um, to know how to find those things. So. Um, Just as the music therapists have to respond, it's our job to help educate our friends and family on how to respond.
0: That last bit is perfect. Um, I always tell my family and friends, you know, for the rest of your life, when I come up in conversation, people are going to be asking you what I do. So (laughs) here are some things that uh, you might want to keep in mind to respond with other than, I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they need talking points.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, I will make sure to put... Links to all those references that you mentioned in the show notes. So, anyone who needs to find those, they'll be available. Uh, Also, I lost my train of thought for a sec. Oh, so, as overall, as a country overall, how do you think, what is the climate right now with where we're at as far as recognition and working with legislatures? And I know each state is different, every person is different, but what would you say? Uh, From when you started advocating for your daughter, when the MTBC was still a new thing, we've come so far, right? Sometimes we need to stop and recognize that. Uh, So how do you feel about where we are right now and how things are going forward? The one thing I feel, um, I guess,
1: the most proud of and the most pleased about is the number of music therapists that are involved in advocacy, I mean, when I started in this position almost 20 years ago, we really weren't doing any of that grassroots, state level, you know, there might be individual music therapists working with a state agency or um, an individual legislator, but it wasn't an organized effort from the profession. And to see the growth of interest and awareness and passion from the music therapy community to be actively participating in all the hill days. I mean, we had, I alone attended six hill days just in 2019. And wow. so, and Kimberly Senator Moore attended some and Dina Register attended some and Maria Fay attended some. And so it's just, when I think about, you know, back in like even the early two thousands, there was like one state that had a hill day. <laughs> so to, um, to the growth and, all of the, I mean, there's over 300 music therapists involved in this, in active task force work. The commitment, that's a volunteer hours that go into contributing to task force success and, um, the state recognition plan. So that's one of the things that really is just, I don't know. I sit back and I think, wow, this is great. This is something that is really pushed. I think, um, the music therapy community forward. It's obviously made more people aware of who we are. And as far as the climate, you know, it just, just when you think you've got a handle on it, it seems like it changes because it can change every couple of years, just depending on the election cycle for different states. But what's been really interesting is that music therapy is a bipartisan topic. We've had just as many Republican as Democratic sponsors. It's not that one party over the other supports it. We have support from both sides of the aisle. So that's the good thing. I think sometimes the barriers that we find in state recognition is more about, it's not about music therapy. There's support for music therapy, that's not the problem. The issue we sometimes run up run against is um, the um, anti-regulation or they, some individuals or legislators feel that if you create a state regulation for a profession, it limits people's ability to work. And one of the things that has become key in our advocacy efforts is to demonstrate that there's a need to protect the public through state recognition. And that's really the point. You can't really have – you can't ask a, leg, a legislator – to support state recognition of a profession if they don't feel like the state needs to intervene to make sure the public is protected. So that evidence of harm being done by if somebody who's not qualified, being able to demonstrate that is important. Being able to demonstrate that the skill set that's needed to do music therapy does require at least the board certification and that anyone trying to do it or claiming to do it without the training, the education training and and credential could potentially cause harm to an individual. So if we're able to demonstrate that, it doesn't really seem to matter what party is in power in a particular state um, or if they tend to be anti-regulation. If they understand that we really do look, we're looking to protect the public then they're on board. So um, sometimes there are just factors in place that obviously we have no control over. It can be something totally unrelated to music therapy. I mean, we've even had bills pass in both a House and the Senate and then be vetoed by a governor, which is really hard to take. <laughs> um, we've had that happen in a, in a few states over the last 14 years. And you realize that once again, it's not about the profession. It's not about support for the profession. Um, it, in those cases, it really was more of a political thing unrelated to our individual bill. So uh, just making sure that you don't get, um, I don't know, you don't feel defeated by it, that you continue, that the advocacy always goes on, even after a bill is passed, even after a license is enacted in a state, there's still advocacy that has to be done, um, and that's true for all professions. I mean, I feel like that's just something that is a part of our um, part of our work in healthcare and education is to always be advocating for the clients we serve. So, um, but I, I do feel really positive about the strong support and the activity of all the therapists involved in this process. It's very exciting.
0: That's really good news to hear. And um, protecting the public ties nicely back to your earlier comments about legislators acknowledging us putting the clients first Mm -hmm. in our advocacy efforts. Um, And again, just just a really therapeutic mindset to keep. AMTA, if I remember correctly, uh, in their podcast, Podcast Pro, um, recently, kind of recently put out an episode about harm. Uh, and recognizing the potential for harm and how we need to do that in a profession so we can use that in our advocacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if anyone has access to that podcast episode, if you're an AMTA AMTA member and can listen to that, um, I I would suggest that you do that because that was also a great episode.
1: Yeah, it's really important for us to be able to, because I think we all know it and maybe we've seen it where someone who thought they were doing music therapy um, created a negative situation for a client. It's being able to have that in written form to be able to track it and to collect those stories so that we can um, have those stories to share with legislators because we are asked for those stories in our state recognition advocacy work.
0: Yeah. So there's there's a good one. If anyone has a story, (laughs) they're looking for them.
1: (laughs) We're looking for them, yes. Please let us know.
0: Yeah, for sure. I hope you got a lot out of that episode and learned a lot of advocacy tips and ideas and can use them in your daily life as well as any political advocacy you may be doing. I'm going to read our first review of the week. It comes from stunning vocals who gave five stars and says great new podcast for music therapists so fun love to hear these in-depth conversations with music therapists thank you so much for leaving your review it really helps out the podcast anyone else please feel free to leave one as well it helps this podcast be found by more people and tune in next week for the remainder of my conversation with Judy, where we get into some role play, again, with Judy as the advocating music therapist and myself as the legislator. I wasn't a very nice legislator, just to give you a little, a little sneak peek into what you can expect. But hopefully that will give you some in time ideas for how to respond when you're not getting very far with someone whether they are a politician or not thanks again for tuning into this episode of the music therapy chronicles podcast if you're interested in being on an episode or have someone in mind that we should interview please let us know by emailing us at feedback at music thanks again for tuning in